We're going to dig into the Word now, and we're going to be in the book of Ruth. So if you've got a Bible with you and you want to turn to that, that would be a good place to be. And uh, as we go through this series, through this month, uh, I want to encourage you to, to read the story and read it over and over again and uh, just ask God to speak to you through it. And uh, it's a fascinating story in so many ways. Now, I don't know about you, but I found that life has a habit of throwing up questions. And it doesn't matter the older you get, they still arise. And I wonder what life questions that you might be struggling with today. What whys and wheres? Why is this happening to me? Where is God in all that I'm going through? Why doesn't God speak to me? Why doesn't he answer? What's he doing? And in this short series in the the book of Ruth, uh, it's a book that resonates with so much of our human experience in any given time and in any given culture, whether you live in the country or whether you live in the city. And sometimes this book is thought of as a a kind of a beautiful idyll, idyll, a a lovely romantic story. After all, you have this romance of Boaz and Ruth right there in the middle of it. But such descriptions actually don't do it justice. It's a story that is actually far more complex than it first appears. It has so many different layers or levels to it. And one of the things I'm going to do this morning by way of introduction is just to look at some of those layers, look at some of those levels. So let's just let's read a little bit just to begin with. Ruth chapter 1. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. And the man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. And they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. And after they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. And then if you turn over to the last chapter, and the child has been born, and in verse 17 it says this, the neighbor women said, a son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the family records of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Naoshon. Naoshon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. That just gives us a little idea of where the story of Ruth goes. And um, so just looking at it, it's a, it's a story of a family living in a troubled country. We see that right there at the beginning, where, where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And because there was a famine in the land, which may have occurred uh, through bad management, may have occurred through climatic conditions, may have occurred as a result of judgment, they decided to leave all that they had known in order 
that they might find food in a foreign land, the land of Moab, a, a people who, were, uh, who they were not on the best of terms with. And famines, as we, we know, what, whatever their cause, create uh, desperation and force people to do things that they would never have thought of doing, to find food in places they would not have considered before. Bethlehem, the house of bread, had none. And they were desperate as a family to find food. Some have read this story as a, a story of disobedience or, or bad decision-making and therefore consequent judgment. Now, the text doesn't tell us that. And I'm not inclined to want to read it into the text because very often when people do things like that, the text does tell us. But this is how some commentators think about the text. It may be that Elimelech was walking more by sight than he was by faith. It may have been that he should have stayed in the promised land. After all, other people did, and they seemed to manage quite fine. And in view of the Israelite history with the Moabites, it certainly would not have been an easy decision for Elimelech to have taken uh, to take his wife and family to Moab. Elimelech then appears to do what he believed was the right thing for his family. It's also a story of, of suffering, of great, great loss, as first Elimelech dies, then the two sons, leaving Naomi and her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, on their own, which leads to feelings of abandonment and bitterness. And in this context, Naomi feels that God's hand is against her. In this context, Naomi feels that somehow God is judging. But at the same time, it's a story of, of hope and of redemption and restoration. As you travel through these four chapters, you see that it, it changes dramatically from one thing at the beginning to something completely different at the end. And, and how we need those. And that's the beauty of the Bible. It is full of stories of hope, redemption, and restoration. It's a story about an individual. It's particularly about Naomi. Now, we very often think of the book of Ruth as being about Ruth. But when you read it and reread it and reflect on it, actually, it's about Naomi. Naomi is the one whom the story is set around. She's the one who has lost everything. She is the one who's become bitter. But she's also the one that God graciously blesses. She's the one who felt abandoned. But in the end, she discovers that God was with her. It's a story of faithfulness and loyal love. In, verses, in chapter 1, verses 16 and to 18, we read these words. But Ruth replied, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and to not, and to not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. 
So it's a story of faithfulness and loyal love, and you find this all the way through the story as you, as you, as you read it from beginning to end. It's in it we find a tremendous honoring and a, a commitment to one another. Naomi to her daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Ruth to Naomi, Boaz to Naomi Naomi and Ruth, and the the town to Naomi and Ruth when they return. They were true to their commitments to one another, and life is made up of commitments, of committed, loyal, faithful relationships. It is, of course, a story of love. We see Boaz and Ruth, we see this beautiful moment in time when they fall for one another and, and we have this wonderful, wonderful love story. And then it's a story of, of God's sovereign purpose in human history as he, he works through the lives of this particular family to move the nation from anarchy where everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes to the establishment of it as a united kingdom. And so you get this transitional book, as it is, Ruth, between Judges and 1 and 2 Samuel. It connects them together. It's a transitional book. And another way of putting it as we read this book is God is king. You see, in Israel at the time, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It's as, it's, it's as if they were king. It's as, it's as if they were sovereign beings. They could choose to live how they wanted, and, and, and so on. And Judges, perhaps, is one of the most depressing books in the whole of the Bible. It's probably not high on your daily readings, if I'm honest. You know, because you read it, it's like, oh, my goodness, oh, my, the, the, the stuff that goes on there. And so when we come to the book of Ruth, it's like a breath of fresh air, but it's taking place within the context of the book of Judges. And so we we have this family and God working his sovereign purposes out through them. So we see this connection between all that is going on in, in, in Israel under the judges and what will come as a result of the establishment of the kingdom. So God is king. God was still on the throne. God was still reigning. God was still working to bring about his purposes. In fact, the name of the first person we encounter in this book is Elimelech, which means God is king. Now, I I just kind of like the thought of this. Can you imagine him walking around in in Israel in the time of the judges before they moved to Moab? Can you imagine him walking around and his wife calling out to him, Elimelech! God is king, you know? Can you imagine the sons calling out to their dad? Elimelech, God is king. Can you just imagine that? And then then they go into Moab, and we have the same thing going on again. So his wife calling to him, Elimelech, God is king. And so you get this sense that wherever this man went, there was a demonstration, there was a witness to the fact that God was sovereign, God was king. I kind of like that. There's something about that. That's something that we need to hear, it, to remind ourselves that whatever the circumstances, however dark the situation we find ourselves in, however dark our nation or the nations, God is king. He reigns. He rules. 
And the story of Ruth taking place during the time of Judges, when everyone was doing right in their own eyes. God was still king. God was still on his throne. We're reminded then in this story that because God is king, because he is the ultimate sovereign, his purposes will be accomplished. Hallelujah. There's also a story of God's covenant purposes. Behind the scenes of everything that is going on is the God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel, who stands in stark contrast to the the gods of the surrounding nations. He is the one true and living God, the God who has chosen and covenanted with Abraham to bless not only him, his family, and the nation, but the nations. And to that end, as we see this story unfolding, we, dis- we see his covenant purposes unfolding before our eyes. We see him working out redemptive history. As Abraham had become a family and the family a nation, show- slowly but surely God's purpose was advancing. And yet, time and time again, that purpose would seem to appear to be thwarted by the very people that he had called through their fickleness and their unfaithfulness. Nevertheless, God is a covenant-keeping God. He is merciful and he is gracious. He is abounding in love. And he steps in time and again to, to redeem, to renew, and to redirect. I love this God. He is our God. He is your God. He is my God. He would show his patience and his providence in orchestrating events in such a way that a Moabite woman would share in the ancestry of David and ultimately Jesus and be a reason for hope and inclusion of the Gentiles through the gospel. Hallelujah. Right there in this Old Testament story. It's also then a story of God's redemptive purposes of his great love for for all as he redeems this this Moabitess, as he brings her into the family of God, as he grants her an inheritance among the very people of God. Central to the book is this reference to the Redeemer, the Gaul. The little word occurs throughout the book and is found five times in one verse, in chapter 4, verse 6. Christopher Wright says this, he says, the word means a a kinsman protector or family champion. I kind of like that, that God is our family champion. He is your family champion. He is my family champion. He is our family champion. He is a, a personal God, and he is our champion. Such a person acted as the, the protector, the defender, the avenger, or rescue of other members of the family who were in dire straits. So God is concerned uh, about all people, regardless of their race, of their nationality, of their status. He is no respecter of persons. And not only does he draw Ruth uh, and Moabite into the family of God then, he even gets... She even gets a book named after her. I mean, that's one of the things that kind of amuses me, that here we have, you know, the Hebrew Old Testament, but we have a book in it named after a Gentile. I mean, that kind of says something, doesn't it? It says something about the nature of God. She gets a book named after her and included in the genealogy of Jesus. Quite a turn of events. So you see, our God is a God of surprises, 
Our God can suddenly do things that we never expected. Our God can turn up in ways that we would never have imagined. It's a story of divine providence, too, that takes, us, takes in both the, the ordinary and the extraordinary as it tracks through the, the everyday rhythms of life, while at the same time revealing a, a sovereign and a providential God at work behind the scenes, guiding, directing, and providing. A God of covenant who is involved with, in, and through the everyday lives of his people, their faithfulness. I don't know about you, but life at times can seem pretty ordinary. But you know, God is involved in the ordinary. And we do need to be aware of that. He's involved in what appears to be the the ordinary mundane things of being husband and wife, of of going to work, of looking after children, of, of, of tending the ground or wherever you happen to work and all that kind of thing. God is involved. He's a providential God, and as such, we, we, we read this story as a story of loyal love and faithfulness that runs alongside divine providence. Even in the midst of the unfaithfulness and the depravity that was going on in the larger part of Israel, a faithfulness and a, a providence that points to a greater hope that was yet to come. And at the same time as we see God's sovereign hand in the story, we also see human responsibility. It's a story where people are very much alive to God. This wasn't a case of whatever will be, will be, case sarah, sarah. It was a fact that they were alive to God in this situation. And as you read through the story, and I'd encourage you to do that, just take note of those references. It's an interesting book because... God doesn't appear to say anything. There's nothing overtly supernatural that happens. No angels, no miracles, no prophetic voice. And yet it's obvious that these these people are alive to God. The Lord, in capital letters, or Yahweh, which that stands for, the personal name of God is mentioned 17 times. They didn't just use the, the general name of God, the descriptive name of God. They used the personal name of God. They knew God. They were alive to God. And so we see choices and decisions being made for better or for worse. It reminds us that the, the choices that we make dictate the lives that we lead. Decisions do determine destiny. Every decision has repercussions, as we see in this book. And it's important that we make them wisely. Elimelech decides to go to Moab. Naomi decides to go home. Ruth decides to go with her. Ruth decides to go gleaning. She decides to follow Naomi's instructions about approaching Boaz, but she does it in her own way. Boaz decides to help. The nearer relatives decide not to be involved. So you see, it's a book full of decisions. Decisions determine our destiny. Decisions shape our future. We see in this book an everyday faith taking place amongst the very ordinary, everyday happenings of life, the ups and downs of life, a faith that welcomes, a a faith that is hospitable, a faith that encourages, a faith that goes to work, a faith that cares for others, a, a faith in God in the unremarkable rhythms of life. And we do need to be reminded that. Praise God 
And we do look for more of those times when we have those encounters and we hear his voice. But we also need to trust him in the unremarkable rhythms of life. He's there. He is an amazing God. In it, we see that feelings are not always what they seem. Naomi felt abandoned, but the story tells us otherwise. So as we draw to a conclusion, let me ask you a question. Are you living under God's reign? Do you you know him personally? Do you have that intimate relationship with him? Because God loves you too. And there's grace and mercy for you. Are you living under his reign as a child of God? If, if your name was Elimelech, how true would that be of you? As a witness to his name, God is king. Are you living in difficult circumstances where there are unanswered questions? And there may be questions that you'll never get an answer to this side of heaven. Let me assure you that God knows. God knows. God sees and he cares. But it's also to assure you that in the midst of it all, he's able to work all things together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. It may be that you feel abandoned. And that's how you feel. But actually God is there with you in your sense of abandonment at this moment in time. God is present. He has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. In that difficult situation that you're going through, and perhaps you feel like Naomi saying, you know, what has God done to me? And it's not what God has done to you. But God is with you there, right in the midst of it, giving you grace, giving you strength to take the next step along the way. Are you living alive to him? You know, we can get caught up in life, can't we, where life just carries us along because it's very busyness, because of the demands of of work and family and, and all sorts of situations, and we just go through it and perhaps we we don't live conscious consciously alive to God there's an encouragement here to live alive to God in whatever situation you find yourself in and is there someone God wants you to reach out to to show his love his kindness his mercy as we see in the story so let's stand shall we and just pray And just believe, as we draw to a close, that there may be a very particular word for some individuals here that God wants to assure you of his presence where you are. He wants to assure you of his love and of his grace. He says, I I am with you. I am with you. I know the pain. I am with you. Trust me, says the Lord. Trust me.
trust me. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this amazing book. We just scratch the surface and we pray your blessing upon those others who will be sharing through this, this month. But oh God, what a book. What an amazing book. Holy Spirit, we pray you draw people to see to yourself through it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would encourage the saints. Pray especially for those who are going through difficult times, that they may know your presence in the darkness, when they can't even see the light at the end of the tunnel, that they may know that you are there because they have your word. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That the feelings that they've got are are not correct. Lord, it's not you that has done this. Holy Spirit, bless and encourage and strengthen every one of your people that we might be a light to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen.